Today on Upstream, we talk about avoiding extremism, how to be countercultural, creation versus evolution, suicide, and caring for those in India and at our southern border. Hi, welcome to Upstream. We're glad you're joining us today. I'm Zach Patterson here with Ms. Sherry Worrell. Good afternoon. Good to see you. Pastor Chet Lowe. That's me. Thanks for being here. Thank you for being here. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I, I work for you, so I don't know if I had a choice, but wow. I am very happy to be here. I'll I'm just happy you're here. make sure that that's known. We're going to be in Acts chapter 17 today. Uh, before we jump into the text, just a couple of reminders. Uh, we're going to be going through the text, but also answering some questions that have come in, questions about Acts 17, and also other questions that could be about anything people are facing. So if you're listening and you have a question, you can text those into us, 949-301-7300, and we'll try to get to those at the next episode, which comes out every Thursday evening. So if you're trying to figure out when you can grab the episode, Thursday evening, it goes live, and... You can find it on Spotify, iTunes, or you can grab it off our app or website. Uh, so without further ado, if I can pray for us and we'll jump in. But you didn't give him the phone number. I, you know no, what? I gave the phone number. And you also didn't talk, phone about, number. You also <laughs> didn't talk about something new. I, I mean, Sherry has her new blouse on. Okay. <laughs> I just want to highlight All right. that. I, <laughs> this is going to be a... We're going to pray, and then we will hopefully have spiritual conversation. So if you would, please join us you in prayer. You did not pray. I mean, you did not give the phone number. I don't care what you say. Play the tape back. He did not give the phone number. Lord, please help us today for the things that we have forgotten. I pray that you would bring them back to our minds and for the questions before us and uh, the text Lord, we do just ask for your help. God, you've given us your spirit, uh, your helper for our time of need. And God, we know that we can always call on you. Uh, you hear our cries and you are faithful to respond, to minister, to lead and guide us. And so I pray for this time, Lord, would you use it for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. amen. We talked this past weekend about... Exactly, you just have to understand. It's probably the new blouse. New blouse, new attitude. New shoes. New shoes. <laughs> Great. Anything else we would yeah. like to put on the table before we... Let's get to it. Act 17. Great. Act 17. Uh, we're continuing our series, Acting Out. And this past weekend, Pastor Chet, you talked about building a spiritual reputation. I think the, uh, one of the things I want to highlight is it takes time for people to get to know what your reputation is. You build a reputation, you build a testimony over time, a series of actions and a series of words, a series of events. Um, it will then establish you as to who you are. And um, I, I think I just purposely want to accentuate the Bereans because I really do think it's such a parenthetical moment in the context of Paul expressing who he is that the Holy Spirit would let us know that these Bereans were ready to receive the word of God and they searched the scriptures. And ready to receive for me is whatever, uh, it's Mary, when Mary said to the servants, whatever he tells you to do, do it. So don't question it. Just, and think how preposterous it was to go fill the water pots with water, right? No, mm -hmm. we need wine, not water, you know? Um, and then searching the scriptures. So not only am I ready to receive, not only do I know I need to change to become more like Christ, but I'm also searching the scriptures so I know how to change. I'm learning how to change. So that's my thought. Great. You know, in, in Acts 2, it kind of starts the whole book off with those who gladly received his word, went on and were baptized and so on. The phrase, gladly received his word, not mm. Begrudgingly, not oh, I guess I got to listen. Go, oh, maybe I have something that needs to apply. But there was a, an openness, an eagerness, even. Okay, I need I need some help. Here it is in God's word. Now I need to respond and and change course or adjust my attitude or something. So gladly receiving, you know, that which we're diligently searching. And what a treasure, um, in all sincerity, that we have a body of believers that come every Sunday to hear the word of God. I mean, just the getting ready, day off, getting in. Some people 
get in at nine o'clock so they can go to work by 11 o'clock. I mean, it's just such a, a, a precious privilege to be able to teach the word to people that want to gladly hear it. And maybe a quick shameless plug for, for all of our classes that we have available online. The last few weeks, I've had several people stop me, say that they were going through with their small group, um, you know, a series of classes that I did. It's just a joy to hear people say, and we had full discussion about so-and-so. Mm -hmm. And it was great the way we engaged on such and such. I mean, they could have engaged on what's on TV this week. And instead, they're engaging on principles that are in God's Word. That's a great point. It was your classes. It yeah. was mine. I just want to mention that, but it, it could have been yours. Did you hear us as they were going through my classes? <laughs> uh, Sherry, we're really glad that you're yeah. teaching. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Moving on. <laughs> you're both being ornery. Uh, you started this with no phone number. Oh, oh, I love it. Well, uh, I mean, one of the questions we had come in was specifically connected to two of the points you made. Uh, this question for point one and three, and I'll read those just uh, as a reminder. Uh, your first point, taking the kingdom by force. Uh, your third point, act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, and feel free to elaborate in a second. But for those two points, are there boundaries that Christians should recognize? It seems like these truths could be taken out of context and used toward extremism. Good observation by this person. I think he's absolutely right. Taken out of context, it would give permission hmm. maybe to... to, to, uh, to uh, I don't know if the word is disobey, but disregard the guidelines that are given to us under government and so on. So I think the person's really thinking through their principles. Yeah, and one of the things that I said over and over again was nothing was going to stop Paul. He was going to take the kingdom by force. He wasn't going to be discouraged. He was going to do what Jesus asked him to do. He was going to fulfill the word. He was going to take the kingdom by force. And what I did was defined take kingdom by force by continuing to reinforce it with Paul's drivenness. I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to stop. Um, I think this is a question, uh, and I do appreciate, I really do, I appreciate the sensitivity um, in our heightened sense of recently coming out of capital riots, so forth and so on, mm -hmm quite possibly the semantics mean something different now than they did six months ago. And so... Or at um, least they're a different emphasis. A different, a different emphasis. And I also think it's a confusion of the Christian right and true faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And so um, I think it's a, a good clarification. Sherry, you want to maybe highlight a little bit about what you think in, in that regard? Well, this, this came up... A a couple, three weeks ago, when we were having this conversation, I think it was we were spinning off of uh, Acts 5, 29, mm -hmm. we have to obey God rather than man. Right. And, and uh, I think at that time we were making a, what I think is a clear distinction that, that uh, we can't use Acts 5, 29 as an excuse to not do or respond to or be in subjection to something that we just personally dislike. Uh, it, it doesn't match up with our political flavor or our sense at the moment. We are, we are godly people that are meant to live under the constraints of the government that God is supervising, that God has put in place. And we went through lots of verses at that time, but just, you know, uh, God is very clearly in control of those that he puts in positions of authority over us. We only get to use the Acts 5.29 as a as a, as a trump card in very specific cases. And I think at that time, my opinion was, you, you've got to be able to really find something specific mm -hmm. that, that, that God's word has told us we must do or must not do. And, and the government comes along and, and imposes on, on us before we can drop that trump card. We can't use it casually just because it doesn't match up with our, our senses. Um, I did find an interesting verse that made me Made me think a little bit. Proverbs twenty nine two says, "When the wicked, when the wicked rule, the people groan." And I thought that is a good sensitivity to to poor leadership in government. When the wicked rule, mm. yeah, we we groan, but yeah. our groaning does not give us license to rebel. 
unless there's an actual, you know, clear-cut case. Yeah, and I also think it's important to recognize specifically what the Scripture identifies in acting contrary to the decrees of, of Caesar. The decree was that Caesar was to be worshipped, and there was an Augustan temple in most city-states um, that you could go and you would worship Caesar Augustus, and there was a philosophy in that worship. You were either an Epicurean, that you gave in to every fleshly whim and desire, or you were stoic and you just thought you were better than everyone else and you had no emotions and no need for any fleshly appetite. And um, I think uh, it's important to recognize the context was, um, I, and I even brought it up, I'm not going to give in to the lust of the flesh, what he says in Romans chapter 6. I'm not going to give in to the culture. I'm going to choose to go the way of the word. And so my encouragement would be um, the good balance of the direction is to get in your Bible and to study the Word of God, be the Berean, search the Scriptures, be ready to receive, and you're going to be guided on how to take the kingdom by force. You're not going to confuse, just because of capital riots, you're not going to confuse these two points of taking the kingdom by force and acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar if you're a person of the word. Because not only are you going to learn take the kingdom by force, you're also going to learn speak the truth in love. You're also going to... So there, there's a... Honor the, honor the king. Got it Honor the Exactly. So be a student of the word of God. You will not only know what to do, you'll know how to do it. Great. And that... That gives those boundaries the framework they need yeah. to be able to apply that Get in, the word. in the proper way. Yeah, Great. so you've got someone that, you know, is, and I'll give you an example. Um, uh, you know, holding a picket sign, screaming and yelling at the top of your voice, you know, that you disagree with this, you know, particular moral uh, standard. Um, okay, standing for truth might be might be what to do, but how we stand for truth is just as important. Hmm. And so, um, and I'm not, please don't hear anti-picket sign or this out of the other. Um, I just think the what and the how can be found in scripture. Great. Thanks for that clarification. Um, the second point that you had on building a spiritual reputation was turn the world upside down. And I think maybe this next question might be connected to that. Can you define countercultural for me, what, what does that mean to be countercultural? What does that look like? Well, in its classic definition, it's the idea of being diametrically opposed to some mainstream cultural mores. But but it's 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 kind of diluted itself down to um, counterculture means running running differently or or perhaps at at right angle odds with with what everyone else in the world is saying or doing. Mm. Um, and we hear a lot about that in the, in the context of Christianity, that it's countercultural. It's countercultural to some of it, for sure. It's not necessarily countercultural to all of it. Mm -hmm. And I definitely don't think it's always based on mores. I think it's often based on activities and choices of behavior. So it's, it's kind of a... Um, kind of a loosely applied term or, or phrase. Okay. Yeah, let me give you outside of our culture context. I went to Thailand, and when you go to Thailand, I was in Bangkok and a couple of other cities. Um, when I you, love Bangkok, by the way. Bangkok's an interesting place. Big old elephant walking right down the middle of the street I was walking down. Oh, hi. Happy. <laughs> oh. Sorry. You go first. Um, when you go into the shops in Bangkok, every shop has a little golden Buddha with a, um, a incense burning in it. Uh, and it's kind of like, um, you know how you go into a shop in the United States of America and they've got their certificate of, you know, occupancy or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. The little Buddha is kind of like the certificate of occupancy. Like, I'll shop there because Buddha is there. Mm. And... Um, I was with a, someone from Thailand and I asked, I said, you know, what? Like, I don't get this. Oh, it's just Buddha. So used to this Buddha shrine in a Christian, so used to this Buddha shrine in every shop, 
It was like, oh, that just is. And we do that. We become blind to what counterculture is because we're so immersed in the culture. But I walked into another culture. I'm able to see the Buddha going, that is not right, this worship of Buddha in every shop. So he then took me to a shop that was owned by a Christian and did not have um, the Buddha. And I asked, I asked, okay, hey, you know, why don't you have this? And he said, because I'm not going to commit my business to a false god. I asked, does it hurt your business? At first it did, but my service is so great that now people come to me despite the fact that Buddha is not up in my shop. That's what I'm talking about. It's recognizing things in our culture, even though we could be blind to them, recognizing things in our culture that we've accepted that may really just not be acceptable. Um, I threw out the example of bathing suits. You know, the new fashion of bathing suits for young ladies is really to kind of roll up the backside a little bit and, you know, reveal a little bit more than... I I went to a swim meet the other day watching my son, my daughter swim. Uh, Actually, it was a couple years ago. And I couldn't believe, like, what the... I swam, but I couldn't believe what the girls were doing with their swim side. When I was growing up, that wasn't legal. Like, you could not do that. You had to be covered in an official swim meet. But now, the girls are doing it, and it's the style of the swimsuit. Well, do I have to do that? Is that the right thing for me to do just because it's the style of suit? Do I even recognize it because it's such a part of the culture? And so dress modestly has got to mean something to the believer. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things you just mentioned was seeing things that you're blind to is part of being countercultural, but how do you see something? The word of God. I'm going to take you right back. Great. The word of God is going, that's why I said dress modestly. So the word of God is going to communicate to us the manner of life that we're to live. And the word of God, by essence of being the word of God, is countercultural. So let me give you an example. When someone slaps you, turn the other cheek. If someone forces you to go one mile, Roman law, go two. It's always going to be upside down from the right side up of the world. Great. Uh, This next question, can you elaborate on why creation is a good place to start in evangelism? Pastor Chet, that's one of the things you mentioned. You you like that as a go-to in evangelism. Do you have any good resources on creation creation versus evolution? Explain your comment. You you made it in your message. Um, Yeah. So I was going to do the resource. If you, the Creation Science Institute yeah, um, is a great resource, and they actually have a kid-friendly book with pictures and everything that is really great for adults. <laughs> I want to recommend it. I can't re- recall the. Um, I actually they have a find, lot of material, actually. They have a lot of material, but there's one specific resource book that deals directly of refuting evolution based on creation that I think is a great kid's book. It's, you know, yay big, and it's got pictures, and it's great for adults, right? You know, you get good information very quickly. Um, So I would encourage you to maybe go to the Creation Institute and get a little bit of information on that. Um, I think people worship creation. So, and what I mean when I say that is, everyone loves to look at a flower, a mountain, a... There's something majestic about looking up at the sky. And there's always a wonder, how did that get there? And so what Paul did, what we see him consistently doing with Gentiles is go to creation. What we see him doing with Jews was go to the word. And so um, I always take a look at example of having conversation. Like, what do we always begin with? Hey, how's your day? You know, have a conversation that initiates uh, uh the God who made creation. I also think another that I didn't say is prayer. Ending conversation, well, how can I pray for you? No one has ever refused me. No matter how adamant they've been against any conversation I've had in the gospel, no one has ever refused prayer. And so I think having a conversation about creation leads to God and ending a conversation with how can I pray for you um, leads them to God. Yeah, a slightly different take uh, in my own practice. You know, 
we we have a tendency when we start a conversation with an unbeliever to quote a bunch of scripture to them. And if they have either no orientation to scripture or are predisposed to think it's just a book like any other book, here we're, we're using it as an authority and they're not recognizing it as such. So I like to go to creation for, for the slightly different reason that it's really hard to deny that there is something out there, whether we're looking at it at the macro or the micro. So I'll make illustrations having to do with what do you see in a microscope or what do you see with a telescope or I wonder where all that came back to your, the, the beginning sort of thing. But it, it allows an authority that we can both agree on. It's out there. Mm-hmm. What we can see in the microscope is viewable. Um, and, and it allows the conversation to continue rather than say, well, the Bible says, for all the sin that comes from the glory of God, well, I don't think the Bible's, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I, creation is just a, a mutually understood sense of authority, if you for will, sure. that you can start sure. a conversation with. Yeah, and I'll, I, uh, I think my theology comes from Romans chapter 1, where they worship the, crea- the creation instead of the creator. And so then, all right, if they're worshiping creation, I'm going to use creation to lead them to the creator. And so um, I think it's like the intricacy of God's creation, everything from the miles and miles of veins and arteries in our own body to the way that he's designed lizards and butterflies that metamorphose. And, you know, I just think there's so many things in creation that um, can point us to the creator. Yeah, but lizards can't. So thank you for that. <laughs> but lizards cannot. Simeon we know will you argue with you on that. We know you and lizards. <laughs> uh, well, we'll move on from that. It's so funny, though. As terrified as you are or we won't. of lizards. Certainly not. No, I, my favorite pet is our um, bearded dragon. Lovely. Enjoy him. <laughs> Number four. <laughs> uh, Great. Next question. Unfortunately, I found that I have a bad reputation in some circles. How can I practically begin to change this? Yeah, Sherry, I'll let you um, take this one, but I I just want to say this humility is the first place to start. To to recognize that I have a bad reputation, like to come out of that sermon and go, wow, there's some things about me that need to get changed. That's the first step. That's really cool. Hmm. I was thinking about um, a couple of things here. First, you know, Proverbs 22, verse number one says that it's, or, or Proverbs 21 talks about having a, a, a good reputation. And then if you think about the standards for deacons and elders, um, it was that they have a good reputation. Um, and even even the, the, in our book of Acts, it talks about Ananias. When Paul's giving his, his story one time, he talks about Ananias and he refers to him as a, a man with a good reputation. So, uh, I think this person is wise to recognize the value of a good reputation. Um, I would say one quick thing, though, and um, and that is there's a difference between your reputation and your character. I know you used it as a simultaneous, yeah. not simultaneous, um, whatever that sim word is. Um, Synonymous. That? That's the word. Thank you. Um, you were using them interchangeably, but I... I want to I want to do a John or a, yeah John Wooden uh, de- definition. You know that reputation is what everybody else thinks about you, and character is what you you really are. And I would encourage this person to, while at the at the one side to say yeah you know how to change it. On the other side to say character is what will will stand you in good stead. And the way to change things about how people feel about you is is to give them ample opportunity to see your character at work mm-hmm. in another way. So, you know, find ways to, in that circle, demonstrate the exact opposite of what they might be thinking about you in yeah. some very specific ways so they can see your character at work. And um, I'd like to put some practicality to your answer and even use one of your scriptures. So the Bereans were ready to receive and they searched the scriptures. Sherry used a great scripture that I think um, we can aim towards. First um, Timothy chapter three gives the list of characters of an elder, and it says, "He whoever desires to be a leader, whoever desires to be a bishop, desires a good work." Paul then tells us we should be zealous in Titus for good works. Well, with that as a kind of a backdrop, then try out hospitality, purposed to be able to teach. So you got to be in the Word and study Scripture. Mm. Like walk through the characters of First Timothy chapter three. 
and make it your aim. That's a really good idea. To tick off those really um, characters when you've done those things and put them into mm-hmm. practice. And the other one I would say, Zach, is First um, Corinthians chapter thirteen. And we're going to get to a question. I'm going to refer to this a little bit later. But um, if I look at love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, I've got a long ways to go. That's the point. I'm using that as my checklist each and every day where, okay, I'm working on this. I'm working on this. I may not be perfected at it, but I'm working on this each and every day. So I look at 1 Corinthians 13 and make it my aim to head in that, those characters. And I look at 1 Timothy 3, make it my aim. I look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, where the, uh, specifically for women and what qualified a widow for receiving funds from the church. Mm -hmm. Because what she had done is built a character or built a reputation. Sorry, I'm using it interchangeably, but, um, and with that reputation, with that testimony, let's call it, she was qualified. So I would look at those zealous for good works, wife of one husband, she was hospitable. Look at those things and aim for them. That's a good practical word. Great. And if you missed that, uh, you pointed to a couple, but the Two primary ones, 1 Timothy 3 and 1 Corinthians 13 are good places to go to. Great. Great. Uh, We have some other questions that have come in from the body, not necessarily connected to Acts 17. This first one, should Matthew 5.30 be interpreted literally? If not, what does it mean? And I want to read that for us, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 30. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Whenever I listen to this verse, Sherry, I don't laugh, Zach. Um, there was an episode of Little House on the Prairie where Mrs. Engels had read this scripture and she had a sore on her leg. And, you know, when's the last time we saw someone reading the Bible on mainstream television? But there she is in her rocking chair in front of the fireplace. Mr. Ingalls isn't there and all the kids are gone and she's fallen, has got the sore. She read the scripture and she's debating, do I cut my leg off because it's offending me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I, I want to make sure that we understand that um, what this scripture and what I've always referred to this scripture is the radical amputation of sin out of our life. But before you get into that, let me, let me just, this person might be helped by, by having this understanding. Our Bible is full of figures of speech. It's to be taken literally, right. you, yes. You had a direction But there are figure, figures of speech, and this is a hyperbole. And a hyperbole is just something that is a figure of speech. For example, this, this, this uh, thing of water, it weighs a ton. It doesn't weigh a ton. It's a figure of speech. That's not a ton. Well, it depends. Liesl might say it weighs a ton. <laughs> no, it does not weigh a ton. And Graham might throw it. Or, or this conversation <laughs> takes forever. It doesn't take forever. So um, when we get to scriptures like this, back to your point earlier of scripture being compared to other scripture, we're going to find lots of scripture that talks about putting to death the deeds of the flesh, but it's doing that conversation in the context of a figure of speech. Excuse me, I just thought that might be a helpful. No, that's extremely helpful. Um, And so what I was going to say was, I've always looked at the scripture as a radical amputation of sin because it is Mm. a hyperbole that says, speaks to something else. And the beautiful thing, we don't have to guess at what is literal and what is figurative. The Bible helps us out. I'll give you an example. Um, Do you remember Abraham and Isaac? And God said, take him up, sacrifice him on an altar. But then what did God do before he put a knife in him? Stopped him. So we know that God is not into the cutting of our human flesh. We also see in scripture the, the, the denunciation of it as we compare spiritual things to spiritual with Elijah and how the, the prophets of Baal were cutting themselves and it was considered to be demonic. It was considered to be mm-hmm. um, a Baal worship. So we wouldn't, if we really truly compare spiritual to spiritual, we would see where God condemns something and we read it here going, now what does this mean? We assume he's speaking spiritual. And I think the key, Jesus communicates in John chapter six, something that you always have to consider with everything that he said. The words that I speak to you are spirit 
and they are life. He said that after he said, drink my blood, eat my flesh. And his point was, I'm not telling you to eat my flesh and drink my blood literally. I'm telling you to crave me more than you crave food and you crave water. Mm -hmm. I will give you spiritual life the way food and water give you physical life. Yeah, and, and this particular one, to your excellent point, is if you looked at uh, Matthew 5.30 and, and then read uh, the verse right before it, let me make sure I've got the right place, yes, verse 29, if your right uh, eye causes you to sin, uh, go ahead and gouge it out and throw it away, and then it goes on from there. The, if it causes you to sin, that's, that's the, the backdrop. The backdrop is, is don't let sin reign. Don't let sin have its way. Don't let sin do its thing. Uh, causes you to sin there is the, the word from which we get scandal. Uh, it's, it's don't let a scandal start in you, a small spark that, that goes into a big flame. The, the backdrop is you deal with this thing with some, some, some passion. You put it to death. You don't let it rain. You don't let it cause you to stumble. And it's in that sense that he's saying, cut it off. Mm. Great. Great. Thank you, guys. Uh, this next question, I'm in my late 50s and was raised in a Christian home. One of my best friends since grade school committed suicide. We were all in shock and didn't know she was contemplating this. I was raised to believe that suicide was an unforgivable sin. Where in Scripture does it state this? In both Old Testament and New Testament, I read where people commit suicide but haven't found it described as forgivable or unforgivable. Thanks. There's a good reason he didn't find it described that way, because it's not in there. It's not there. Mm. Um, so my pastor heart um, hurts a little bit. Suicide is, um, especially when it's shocking, um, it, and suicide is always devastating, but when there's been no signs, when there's been absolutely not even depression that has been expressed, it really seems that it affects the people that you know much more um, than when someone commits suicide and they've struggled a lifetime. And I'm not saying one is worse than the other, but my heart really goes out, no symptom, no sign, completely shocked. Trauma death is just different. When someone is sick and they're passing, it's like you're almost preparing your heart. But you know, when my brother died, it was trauma death. When my dad died, it was trauma death. And death in and of itself is something to walk through, but when it's shocking, it's, it just seems in my history of talking to people, ministering to people on my own, it just takes a little bit longer to walk through it. And so I just want you to know, I'm going to be praying for you today. I'm not sure who you are, but my heart is with you. I love what you said, Sherry. You didn't find anything there because it's not there. Um, but I would like to read uh, a verse in Hebrews. Um, it's Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah. Samson committed suicide. And he's in the hall of faith. And so the Holy Spirit thinks Samson saved. <laughs> for him to be in someone who believed. Now, Samson wasted his anointing. In more ways than one. In more ways than one. And it's only in the last moment of his life that he wants to use his anointing to uh, instill God's wrath on uh, the Philistine nation, the enemy of God. And so... Um, I've always pointed to this particular scripture to give hope. Now, the danger is someone reads this who's contemplating suicide and goes, well, Samson committed suicide and he's in the hall of faith. That's not the heart of God. Remember the heart of God. Jesus said, I come to give you abundant life. There's life to be found in Jesus. And if you are thinking, considering, if you have contemplated uh, suicidal thoughts or you have had some uh, uh, um, suicidal you know, ideology. Uh, ideation. I, the ideation. Thank you. I couldn't think of the word. Thank you. Um, I'm going to encourage you right now. Call a friend. 
I'm going to encourage you to say, Jesus, help me and call a friend and walk through your thoughts and feelings with someone. Um, don't let the enemy lie to you that your life is not, does not have value. Because Jesus said, I came to give you life, and your life is so valuable to him. The Bible says he knows the numbers of hair on your head, and he died for you. So um, I just, I'm sorry I'm taking over with the ministry heart, but um, this is an opportunity that if you're listening, you've got any thoughts of suicide, reach out to someone that you can talk to. Maybe a PS on that is to notice how many people in the Bible who, in the words of the I, the, the psychiatrist would say ideation, but who contemplated that their life had no value, uh, and yet God, God redeemed it. God used them. God moved them on from their discouragement, their depression, um, their, their thoughts of worthlessness. You know, looking at the life of Elijah or Jonah or Paul or a whole list of others. So whoever this person, uh, maybe not the one who wrote the, the note, um, but those that might be listening, you know, there are, there are um, ways and people and resources for encouragement, mm-hmm. uh, and they are readily available. You're not alone. You're not the only one that ever felt despair mm-hmm. or discouragement or even depression. Um, there are there are people and means mm-hmm. to to meet your needs. So I appreciate your your loving pastor's heart there. So that's my PS. Yeah, and Zach, I'm going to refer to something that you said to me once, and I want to clarify it wasn't a suicidal conversation, um, but it, it has ministered to me for years. Um, and I was talking about uh, how someone hurt me, and it really discouraged me and affected me. And you asked me. Um, tell me what really hurts about it. And when I thought the question was great, because it it made me reevaluate, what do I define as hurt? And it also let me communicate to you, here's my perceived hurt in the situation. And I think the fact that you asked the question, it allowed me to communicate, but it also gave me something to go with when I get hurt in the future and get discouraged. Okay, what really got hurt? You know, where is this affecting your life outside of something personal that's, you know, going on maybe inside of you? And so, and all I'm saying is talking to a friend, talking to someone, getting another perspective is such a value. And I was able to take a life value from that conversation to reevaluate every time I feel some kind of personal pain or hurt. Thank you both for speaking into that. Um, This next question, how could Paul say Romans 13 verse 3 if they were persecuting Christians? And I'll read that. Romans 13, 3 says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. So how could Paul say that if they were persecuting Christians? I'm trying to reconcile this and look at it through the lens of what, of who God is and how his ways are beyond understanding. Does this mean that the original intention of governing authorities was to instill order? Does it mean that God will work all things together for good? So we should still submit and believe that what men means for evil, God means for good. Is my theology wrong or is there another way to reconcile this verse? I think he's on track. Uh, personally, I think he's, he's, he's getting the sense that, you know, um, God tells us, you already made reference to it, well, I think maybe I did anyway, in First Timothy 2, to pray for those that are, that are over us. Um, Daniel 5 talks about how he sets over them anyone he wishes. Um, and there's a very specific injunction in Exodus 22 that says, don't curse your rulers. So I, I think God being sovereign uh, is something that we can trust, specifically in this context, um, that he is in control. And we all know from a little bit of foreign travel that there are lots of other places in the world where, where the rulers are persecuting Christians. 
and it makes it very, very difficult. Um, so it's, it's hard to pray for those that are, that are persecuting you, but we're specifically told that in Matthew. So I, I, think, I think this person is, is bringing into some order the fact that God is at work. He's bringing all things together for good. I'm not saying that persecuting someone is a good thing. I'm saying that God is being sovereign. Great. Um, I'll add to that and just take us back to Romans 12. Um, Paul is ending this letter to the Roman church. And he has let us know that we're saved uh, by Christ alone. And now he's communicating, here's what salvation looks like. So um, the Romans, uh, the Roman Christians, there was a uh, philosophy, um, uh, hey, I'm saved. So I don't have to obey the government. I, I've got, I, I'm obeying Jesus. I don't have to pay taxes. I'm saved. I'm, I'm getting ready to go to heaven. And Paul had to deal with some things to help them understand, no, here's what salvation looks like. So he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, so since you know you're saved, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So in other words, um, you belong to God, so I want you to behave the way God wants you to behave. And then he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What he does through the rest of the book is express how now you should be as a living sacrifice. And so he communicates in Romans 13, a good Christian's a good citizen. Why put yourself in the place of being persecuted simply because you're not obeying the government? So purpose to obey the government and pray for the peace in government, pray that they'll get saved so that uh, he says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, pray that the leaders will get saved, that it will allow us to be able to communicate the gospel. Um, and so I'm just adding that as an addendum because I agree, I agree with, with what Sherry said, uh, but I want to make sure you understand what Paul's doing is communicating, here's what salvation looks like as we remain here on earth. Great. Great. Thank you, guys. Um, actually, before we move on, I just wanted to go back uh, to the suicide question real quick. And one of the things that you guys said was the importance of calling a friend. And um, we give the number out every now and then, but I just want to make sure if you're that person, you go, I don't really know who I would call and talk to about this. So I hear you and I want to follow that. Um, you can call the church and we have someone who would love to be able to talk with you and minister to you. And our number is 949-362-0079. Um, and an, another number that you can have that we want to give out. Say that number again. Yeah, 949-362-0079. And there's also a, a lifeline that we want to give, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. The number is 800 273-8255. So if that's you and uh, you have somebody that you need to talk to someone, um, we want to make sure that those opportunities Good are point. available for you guys. And, you know, Zach, I don't know if you know this, but I used to, for close to five years, answer that hotline. Hmm, I didn't know and, that. Um, I did not know that. Uh, and it was... It was a really, it's you and someone else. So there's two people that do it together. And it goes, the number goes to people all over the country mm -hmm. that have been qualified to be able to, you mm -hmm. know, answer that phone. And um, I've had some life transforming phone calls. So um, I know that the people that answer that phone, they really care. They're giving their own personal time. And they really have been Sneak. walked through on how to minister. So I'm great. glad you, you threw that out there. Cool. For sure. Um, great. Well, we have a few more questions that I would love to get to. Uh, this next one, how do you know God is real? How do you know God is real? Well, I... I, 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 I our silence, I, was, I, was <laughs> I wanted you to go first. Well, I was respecting that you could go, but... I put it. I put in my notes maybe three three ways. The first one is just by the observation you can make in in your world. How do I know God's real? I can open my eyes and I can look around. I can I I can look at the complexity of our planet. 
that suggests the designer. I can look at the way it operates and wonder who put all those laws of nature. Gravity, why, did, why does that work? Um, but we mentioned earlier the macro versus the micro. The views, regardless of which perspective you take, all lead to some sort of a, a cosmic designer. So how do I know God's real? I can open my eyes and look at my world. Um, the, the, the second one is that I can have some observation about myself and people that I, that I can interact with. We are all so unique. That, you know, if, if there wasn't a designer, a creator, a, a God who was doing his thing, where would all those uniquenesses come from? Where would a sense of right and wrong come from? Where would the moral implications of human beings, how would that possibly evolve? Um, and, and just then the presence of, of love. Yes, animals can love. I know they can. Um, but but not, not the way a human being loves. And that, that forces you to say, gee, God, God must be out there somewhere. It doesn't bring you to a, um, a biblical conclusion of a solid theology of God. But it does bring you to a, ooh, I wonder if. Gotta be, I think. And then, of course, to answer the question, how do you know what God is real, is to pick up God's word and spend any amount of time in it. The reason I got saved is because I bought a Bible and I sat down mm-hmm. and immersed myself in God's mm-hmm. word. And it became very obvious to me that it wasn't just a religion. It, it, it was, he was offering me a relationship. So those are the three thoughts that I had. Mm-hmm. That's great. Thanks, Sherry. I, amen. Um, <laughs> his word, his creation, his son. I, I see the impact I see the impact of his son in people's lives on a regular basis for 2,000 years of church history. His word is true. The laws of nature, from science to morality, his word is true. Hmm. And um, his creation, you can't help but see there's a creator. Great. Thank you, guys. Uh, There's an old hymn. mm -hmm. We sang it today. Um, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world He's today. He's in the world today. I know, know that, that He is living, living whatever men, men may say. I see His hand of mercy. I hear His gentle voice. And whenever I may need Him. No. Oh, gosh. Wherever I need Him, He's always... I see His hand of mercy. I hear His voice of cheer. Wherever I may need Him, I know that He is near. He lives... He lives. Christ My Jesus lives today. today. He walks with me. He talks with me along life's narrow way. And it's so true. It's so you true. You missed that last one. The, the, he yeah, you got to bring it. He lives. <laughs> I, I was Sorry. hoping you were going to sing it. But, no, uh, no, 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 no luck here. I serve a risen Savior. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could sing like my wife. Uh, great. Thank you. Uh, this next question, and just a little backdrop, that, well, the question is, how can we help India right now? And maybe one of you want to speak to just the condition of India and what's going on right now for anybody who may not be informed. So I just showed you an article. Um, they have topped the world cases per day, 403,000 cases per day. Um, and I think you said there's a hundred and some... There's... Uh, about 3,000 deaths a day. Okay, so there's a, um, a, a global pandemic is devastating a nation. And I think the first thing that we need to do is pray. It's interesting, this question came today. I got an email from a friend of mine in India, and we're going to be exploring how, and the, he oversees a series of orphanages of children with HIV. And because of karma, their parents who maybe have passed, nobody will take the child because they believe, karma, that that child was somebody bad in their previous life, so just let them die so they can pay this price and get on to their next you know, karma mm-hmm. level. And so, because we don't believe that, he's taking care of these HIV orphanage, orphan children and um, COVID is radically affecting the orphanages because of their low immune system. So um, I'm going to be reaching out to him, probably making an announcement in the near future with our church as an opportunity for us to be directly engaged. 
Great. And I did a little research, just maybe two possibilities to suggest. I know that Samaritan's Purse is very active in India right now, mm. also in, in South America, but they're a, they're a tried and true resource of, you know, that we can trust, I think. And the other one, um, I don't know them personally, but I, I did quite a bit of research on them, was something called Mission India. And uh, it looked like a, a solid organization that is um, finding their, um, their roots in, in India, working with Indian people, not bringing in outsiders. So it looked like it was reputable, uh, good testimony, good financial reports. So uh, Mission India would be one that we might mention to folks as well. Great. Great. Thank you, guys. Uh, this last question, I've been burdened by the border situation. Then the boat situation in San Diego happened. I feel an urgency to act. Do you know of any good organizations? So when the border crisis originally happened, I had Jeff, our outreach pastor, reach out to a church in Texas. And they're orchestrating an event for us to be a part of in July to be able to help. Now, I know that seems like, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? There's kids in, in plastic blankets today. Um, so we have felt the best way to operate is with a church um, and not with a governmental agency. Now, that's not just, you know, right. I'm not putting a blanket out statement, don't work with a governmental agency, um, but a church on the ground will have longer-term ministry where we'll go in, do some ministry, and leave. They'll be able to get, mm -hmm. the church will just use us for the event to build relationship so the church can continue to minister. And so you'll, we'll be hearing more about that in the future. Great. Great. Well, thank you guys. Uh, we just want to remind you, if you have any questions about anything we talked about today or anything that you're facing, you can send those in to 949-301-7300. Uh, otherwise, we look forward to seeing you on Sunday. You can join us in person or online. Uh, and you can catch us next week on Thursday evening. God bless you guys.